Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm Pastor Troy Richards. Joining me today, we have uh, Josh Humphreys, as usual, but also our special guest, Daniel Mawson, is with us today. Daniel has uh, used to be on staff here at uh, First Baptist Jackson and uh, has left us to go on to bigger and better things. But today he comes back to join us and offer his insights and wisdom as we peruse the Word of God and find out the wonderful secrets of Matthew and and amazing things that begin there and also take a look at things that are happening in the book of Genesis. That's the amazing part about starting a new season is we get to go back to Genesis and go through all the wonders that are there. And so we have quite a bit to share about the book of Genesis and also Matthew and maybe a little bit from Proverbs. Some great questions coming at the end of this segment uh, where we talk about uh, the things of, uh, well, the book of Enoch. Who would have thought that we would talk about the book of Enoch? And if you're wondering what that is, well, Stay tuned. We have all that and much more on this edition of Understanding Jesus. Understanding Jesus podcast, and we are excited about uh, Daniel getting the opportunity to share um his insights. I'm excited. I'm excited. Man. Oh. It's been so long. We're so, so glad you're long. here. Yeah. Three months. I've been, you know, I've been, <laughs> I've been reading the Bible, though, going, I wonder what Daniel would think about this passage. I wonder what Daniel you know, would think. I haven't I thought about It's that too one bad time. we don't <laughs> have these devices that can ask a question. <laughs> for yeah. Well, I mean, it, and away. it's also true that you could text or whatever during the podcast. I could. And occasionally and you, and I log you, in. And you only gave us schmarmy comments. Uh, <gasps> I do. They are schmarmy. There was like never really a, a genuine. Sorry, I don't have time to like. I have time. Oh. I just choose not to, <laughs> like, actually watch cool. it. He's like, he's like, I'm not gonna comment unless I have a special prominent place within the podcast. And so, so here he so is. So they invited me back. There it is. It, it worked. It. So, I didn't yes. invite you back at all. He's our first, oh. our first guest for season three. Though. He is. First so. guest. And this yes. is our. I mean, yeah. it's our first podcast. And too, I would like so to congrats. say we've already got the next guest uh, procured, but. Oh, that wasn't a word. Wait, <laughs> procured? Procured. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but we do not. So we're working Alas. on it. We got, we'll have it. We'll have it by. I by probably won't be here next week. Uh, neither oh, will yeah. I. Just for a future reference. That's, oh, uh, that's a whole thing. We got oh. to work on that. Um, so. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I will be here. We'll have to record it early because I've got to... Um, I've got a skedaddle by yeah, noon. Skedaddle. By noon uh, next Tuesday, I've got to get out. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. To Midwest Leadership Conference, actually. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, Daniel, so tell us what popped. Dude, the Bible popped <laughs> this week, man. Um, pardon my voice if it kind of cuts out sometimes. It's not technical. It's 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 just my voice. It's just how it is. You know, you, you stop Louis being a worship weather. leader for like five minutes. <laughs> it's called puberty. And then, yeah. <laughs> it's about time is all I'm saying. Maybe I'll get some some vertical movement with my height. Just really quick. Our secretary, when she let us in the building, thought I was with a student. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> it's my favorite. That's awesome. Yeah. It's my favorite thing. All right. Anyway. All right, man. Anyway. Get, get into right. the word. Getting into the word. So um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm pumped that you guys asked me to do this one because um, I'm actually in Matthew in my personal quiet times right now. And I'm, a, I'm almost to the end. But something I noticed at the very beginning, which is um, relevant to this week's reading, at the beginning, Matthew 1 through 6, is he, it's like, you know, you guys watch The Chosen? 
No, I, I haven't. Seen it. Yeah. Okay, so I can now. I can't get that Matthew out of my head mm. now, and I'm. I really try to, but they do such a good job. But anyway, um, the the real Matthew, the author, does a really like intentional job of calling our attention to the fact that Jesus fulfills all the laws of the or all the prophecies of the prophets from back then. It's like every other line, it's. And he did this so in order to fulfill the what was written by the prophet Isaiah. And he did this to fulfill what was written by the prophets. And Jesus said that, which is in, and it's like, it's very cool if you have one of those Bibles that like tells you what's being, like if something's being quoted. I used to not have a Bible that did that. And now that I do, it's like, oh, that's a, they like off offset it so that you know that's coming from a Old Testament author. Um, so it's very, very cool. Um, and in Matthew 5.17, um, I think Matthew brings this up probably on purpose to go along with his um, intent here. But Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Which is really cool. Um, as uh, Matthew being a Jew, um, kind of a Jew on the outs for a lot of his life, um, but still knowledgeable about their culture and um, the prophecies about a Messiah, watching Jesus and the fact that Jesus was all this and chose him to follow him is such a, must have been such a key moment in Matthew's life that he chose to insert it into his, his version of the gospel. And um, yeah, I just think that's really cool. And I think it's very helpful as you move throughout Matthew, because where I'm at in my quiet time right now at the end, Jesus has kind of taken up shop in the temple and he's just railing against everybody, it seems like. Everybody who comes close to him, he's like, and because he's at, he's like almost out of time. He's on his last week. And um, it can, you if you don't have this foundation set of he is here to fulfill the law and the prophets, then it almost sounds like he hates the law and the prophets. Right. You know, it's like, you guys only listen to Moses. Well, let me tell you what I say. And right. it comes out very aggressive, but he actually is giving a better way. His language right. just gets much more intense. At the end. Yeah. And I think that's why Matthew felt compelled to say, here's evidence that he is the Messiah that was prophesied. Yeah. Um, but Luke is such a Gentile version of the gospel. And uh, Mark, it is it is interesting. I mean, if you just really just really simplified, Mark is the simple narration that Peter would give. I think Mark was a scribe for Peter. And so, that, uh, so you have a really abbreviated version. Then Matthew kind of goes... Uh, well, here's a Jewish understanding right. for my people, because right. Matthew being a true Jew, and then um, and then Luke being a Gentile says, well, here's how we would understand it from a Gentile perspective that he's a, that he's for everybody. Right. And then John comes along and says, uh, let me take you behind the curtain you right. know, and yeah. show you what was really happening. In the, in the insider circle, the relationship, you know, yeah, the places part. where Matthew wasn't allowed. <laughs> you know, so. Oh my God, it's true. I mean, it's that, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. So John was kind of an elitist. Yeah. Oh, we were talking about elitists earlier, yeah. off yeah. panel. But well, yeah. uh, probably the only one alive at the time he wrote it. <laughs> so that's uh, that's that gives you a little bit of an edge. John, yeah. shout out to you. Yeah, there's, there's nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people think he's still alive today. What? That's Have you ever heard that theory? I don't want to. I don't want to listen. Because Jesus to said, "Remember, Jesus said." Because some of you yeah. may not, but then the Bible comes back and debunks that theory. Yeah, I, I know. Verse. I'm not saying I'm one of those people who believes it. I thought you were one first. of those John conspiracy people. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> so I'm just trying to provoke questions. 
<laughs> oh, that will never happen. Yeah. You're yeah, not going to ask the question, is John still alive? No. Is John still alive? I never even thought that was a question. Anyway. He will not surely die. Yeah. Well, thank you, Daniel. <laughs> that was good. I like that. I like you. Aw. All right. Anyway. <laughs> I, 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 see, I see the floor. I see the floor. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So I'm in Genesis chapter three. Um. Genesis, much like where we ended in Revelation, or Revelation's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Genesis and Revelation to me are, are right there next to each other. I absolutely love reading them one after the other from the like starting at the beginning and then going to the end immediately and seeing how similar it, mm. it all is. And so um, Genesis three, um, verse nine says this but the lord god called to the man and said to him where are you and so how do you pull anything out of this well i don't have an answer to that there is something that is interesting to me that happens here um that i like i just can't shake and it's still like just i'm trying to figure out what it means and trying to like see what it means about god and all this kind of stuff but let me just explain it so god's first action here is super interesting for me um because it's he's in a what we call the genesis 3 fallen world and he walks into the garden and instead of coming in kicking and screaming or condemning and destroying um he comes in and he asks a question um which is crazy because that's not something you expect a quote-unquote like god to do when something goes wrong we usually see god react and just like you know what is i mean i don't really know much about mythology but like zeus you know he's throwing lightning bolts at people when he makes them angry and um so god does something completely different and it's crazy because this is the god who we know to be all-powerful all-knowing and ever-present and he actually asked a question to the beings that he created and for the next few verses, that's all that God does. Like if you go on, he asks um, Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not? And then he goes on one more time and he asks the woman, what is this you have done? And so he's he's asking questions over and over and over again. And like I said, I don't have a super deep thought about this, but it's scattered through the whole Bible. Like in the next chapter, God asks this question to Cain, to Cain. like his first words to Cain are, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Or if you keep going to what we read like um, on Genesis 16, the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar in the desert and says, where have you come from and where are you going? And then he doesn't stop. And when Hagar's in, and Ishmael are in the desert, um, the Bible says that God hears the voice of Hagar and he called from heaven and said, what troubles you, Hagar? Hmm. And another example of like, that's just not the Old Testament. This is what Jesus does in Luke chapter um one is it luke one no something uh it luke chapter 9 18 through 20 it says now it happened that he was praying alone the disciples were with him and he asked them who do the crowds say that i am and this is that famous passage where they say oh elijah john the baptist whatever and then he looks at peter and he says but who do you say that i am and he says you're the christ but again it's just interesting like this like the God, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God is asking questions. And it puzzles me. But anyway, so um, I'm not really sure what this tells us about God, but it, it I can't shake it. It's crazy to me that, that he asks us these questions. And I think the thing that it shows me for sure is that he's unlike anything else. Like he's unlike any other God, any other story about any sort of king or being or anything. He's just unlike anything else. And one more thing that is super interesting to me. If you look at Genesis three, chapter one, um, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter three, verse one, the serpent begins with a question. And I just like, 
I don't know what it is, but I just can't get over that. And it's mm. super interesting to me to see that's how God is interacting with people, with his creation. Um, when sin enters, he doesn't come in kicking and screaming, but he comes in and he asks questions. And I, it's so fun. It's, it's not, we're not, we're not um, discounting his omnisciency, um, but it's just interesting. Mm. It's super, super cool. It's interesting. Because, like, when I'm trying to relate with my kids and teach them mm-hmm. something, like when they mess up, mm-hmm. sometimes in my flesh I'm, I come in barrels, you know, screaming, guns, yeah. guns, guns blazing, blazing. Mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, you guys did this, and mm-hmm. you shall now be punished. But yeah. but when I'm less fleshly and yeah. trying to trying to teach and relate to them, I, I that's what I that's what you do. Mm-hmm. You ask questions it's like, hey, what happened? Um, how did that happen? Yeah. What well, I think steps led there? I think it's interesting, like, dealing with sin in this way. Like, this is what God did. He went to them and he asked them a question. And then they had to think through what they did. And, um, yeah, I don't know. And so give I'm, chances to right. show maturity, yeah. show wisdom. So, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I just couldn't, I couldn't get that out of my head. Mm. Cool. It's a cool observation. It is cool. Thanks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we think you're cool, Josh. Oh, yeah. thanks. I'm really temporary. All the evidence to the contrary. Hot you are right now. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I had something from Genesis chapter three, <gasps> uh, chapter four. Sorry. Oh, okay. So right after, I, I did. I love Genesis three. Genesis I love Genesis. So cool. Genesis is so cool. It, there's so much in the book of Genesis oh that gosh. is like you could spend the whole year. It just sets the stage for the, the whole Bible. It does. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And, and something I have to keep in the back of my mind is that Moses is writing this yes. and that he's writing it while they're in the desert, yeah. you know, and, and, and that he, he, and he that he, wrote and that all, all the other, all the stuff that is going to come after it is already done. So yeah, it's like, so, it's so, crazy. so we're leading up to something and it, and so, so like <laughs> when you have crazy things and it is, and I'm trying to take away from the inerrancy of the Bible, but it's very it's convenient that all the enemies of Israel have really horrible origin stories. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, oh man, I bet they do not like that story at all. Yep. But I think but, that uh, was the, when I was in Bible college, that was the coolest. I guess I had never realized yeah. that Moses had written it after they had escaped Egypt and like all this stuff. And then he begins the Bible with, in the beginning, God created. And then yeah. he talks about Lord God and like, I don't, oh, yeah. it's just so cool. It's yeah. intriguing. It's so a, anyway, here, here we go. Um, it says, um, if we go back to uh, chapter 4, and it's talking about the descendants of Cain, uh, it says, Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of the nomadic herdsmen. Uh, his brother was named Jubal. He was the father of all who played the lyre and the flute. Zillah bore Tubal Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. Tubal Cain's sister was Naama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words, for I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech, it will be 77 times. Adam was independent wife again, and she gave birth to a son named and named him Seth, for she said, God has given me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. That's always a difficulty between a mother and a son it's rough. <laughs> you killed your brother that's rough um a son was born to seth also and he named him enosh at that time people began to call on the name of the lord now i'm gonna i'm just gonna admit something here uh and it doesn't come easy because i was just bragging about my knowledge <laughs> of the word of god but uh reading through this time now i'm 53 years old and old. i've read through the bible many times and <laughs> for whatever reason even though i may have known this may have even talked about it you know how sometimes just you hear something again, or you or you think about something, and you think, 
I don't think that really clicked in right. my head before. Yeah. It's because like when I started, because when I experience. read this passage, I was thinking, I would always say, oh, well, these are things that must have been taught to others because all of Cain's line died out, right? When the flood, because you have Noah and right. and, the, and then only Noah's line is what carries over. And Noah's a descendant of, of Seth. Seth. Right. And then <laughs> I'm like, but he could have married a descendant of Cain. In fact, yeah. many of them could have married. In fact, multiple people of Cain's descendants were married. In fact, of the giants that were, in fact, all the that DNA, because in my head, I was always thinking the DNA was a pure line from Noah to here that it would be of Adam, Seth. Then you've got Noah, who's the only descendant of Seth. And then everybody else is erased. And it's like, yeah, but who was Noah's wife from? And who were the sons of Noah's married to? And all of the people prior to them, uh, Noah's mother and et cetera, mm. et cetera. And you realize, oh, wait, they're, they're, Cain's line does live on. And then you realize that these traits not only were things that were passed on, but genetically they were giftedness was passed on. And it also kind of gives you now, because the struggle was with where does Goliath come from? Because if you have all the giants who are killed off in the flood, then how are they still around? Well, that DNA is still present. So they would, might not have been as prominent, uh, but they would have, they do all come from the sons of Noah. I believe that. I don't, I'm not trying to say there were other people on the earth who survived the flood, like in the movie that they right. did. That was stupid horrible. Stupid movie. That was rough. That was so sad. Don't <laughs> I want to watch it again just there's, so I can remember no, how stupid it is. That's the rough part about Noah. Is other Bible characters got at least decent movies. Like Prince of Egypt is not bad. So, But yeah. oh, but Noah, wow. Noah that's, rough. that's rough. I thought the Christian Bale uh, Exodus movie was actually okay. It has, I liked some, it. has some good elements yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. They they're they they take more liberties the more they do it but the um, yeah. but yeah it's I it's as good as the Cecil B DeMille right Yeah, so might as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So shall it be written. So, so shall, shall it, it be done. done. Um, but Noah, wow, they and and what really yanks my chain, I guess, is that they when they talk about Noah, they talk about um, they will go back and say like they'll mix lot with Noah. And, mm. and like some of the other stories they will combine with, and it's like, well, that's just wrong. Yeah. It's like the story, like Noah's wife turning to a pillar of salt or something like that. That, that was in a, I don't know if you remember that. It was in a mini series they did of Noah, but no. yeah, that I, <laughs> I just stopped watching at that point. Well, I don't know if his, I think his wife. Yeah. But anyway, they showed Noah fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah, which was just. It's interesting. Yeah. So interesting take. <laughs> it's like it's like we don't we don't have time to explore multiple Bible characters. So let's just right, let's, let's combine, just, them, let's all combine them all into one. Yeah, Noah, the super Old Testament guy. But anyway, that was <laughs> that was the thing. Is that it just it just was more that I found first I found it interesting how that uh, the Bible takes a moment to say here's where these things came from, that and and, mm. and that they are the sons of Cain, that these are Cain's descendants who introduced these things. Uh, I guess if I was a fundamentalist preacher, I could say that's why all music is bad, because <laughs> <laughs> it comes from Cain and bronze, and bronze, bronze and and music are are bronze bad because they all come from Cain. Uh, but uh, but did you see that he did have people within his family that gave, have made a meaningful contribution and so forth, even though sin carried on. Um, and and so obviously redemption is necessary for all of us. And just because Seth was not the one who killed his brother didn't mean sin. Seth was without sin. It just mean that that's where the right. godly line came from. Obviously, there's plenty of sin in the godly line. So <laughs> so anyway, that's that's just uh, something stopped me. David, yeah. we're looking at you, <laughs> sinful dude. <laughs> oh man, yeah, and it's it's Lamech even. 
Oh, yeah. I didn't even yeah. realize he's kind of a villain in this story. He is. And, like, and yeah, like, you think Kane's bad. Well, Look at me. not only that, but he started, he, like, he broke the marriage ideal. He was the yeah. first to do that. Yeah. Uh, like, he started that, and now, all through history, here we are. Yeah. And it's like, that's that started with you, dude. And then he, like, yeah. sings a song about how he's, like, the killer of all these people. And it's like, I'm this, uh, yeah, that's what he's song. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of, a, like, the Heat Miser. It was a rap, yeah. <laughs> He was rapping. He was a rap. You're right. (laughs) Ungodly. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to go that far. That's funny. We're awesome. That's sarcasm. That's all sarcasm. Yeah, sorry. Don't don't text or write us about that. (laughs) Sorry. I like rap. Send all your hate mail to daniel at (laughs) fbcj.us. Yeah, that'll go somewhere. (laughs) That is funny. That's great. All right, we're back around to you, Daniel. Well, yeah, I mean, just continuing in the theme, I think Genesis Genesis is also, like, one of my favorite books of the Bible. I think it's just super interesting. I know. I I don't know what to do. (laughs) Uh, It's just, it's very compelling. And, um, and you know, people get a... People get all frustrated, you know, mad, you know, in theological circles talking about, oh, did Moses redact, you know, have redactors and all this stuff. And I think that's a fine conversation to have. You redacted the Red Sea. You redacted, yeah. (laughs) 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 Um, But like Moses obviously was a chief redactor in all (laughs) of this. Absolutely, yeah. Because he he wasn't around. He wasn't around when Noah was doing his things and Lamech was having two wives. He just, he took the story and compiled it. So like, um, but yeah, yeah. So, um, it's a great case for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is. Because I mean, obviously he chose what to include, uh, what not to, because it's not exhaustive. So he, he had under God's guidance, we get what we got. We got what we got. And, uh, and I love, I love what Genesis sets up for us. And this is kind of my takeaway from early Genesis, Genesis one through three, really. It's like Genesis one through three gets repeated throughout the rest of the Bible, right? Yeah. Um, and and call it a design pattern, call it whatever you want, but there's always in just about, I can't, right now, I can't think of a major story that doesn't have <laughs> yeah. one of these things, right. but um, there's always a tree, so there's always some wood, yeah. there's a high place, there's man coming up out of the ground or the water, and a decision to choose God's wisdom or judge good and evil for yourself, mm-hmm. right? That is consistent in the Abraham and Isaac story consistent in noah there's absolutely mm-hmm. trees and coming up out of the water and water in a high place <laughs> and, yeah, and choosing right. wisdom choosing one thing over you joseph comes up out of the ground yeah. um and uh, david and solomon jonah job judas jesus oh, yeah. over and over again like there's no other there's no, and like a client it's like this pattern in genesis one through three finds its climax in jesus Mm-hmm. Right. Like he is the, he finally whereas Eden, you start out with this exalted tree. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, tree of life. Yeah. Um, and the knowledge of good and evil meant to be good things um, up on this this hill surrounded by all this water um, and humans right in the middle of it deciding, are we going to take this for ourselves? Or are we going to wait till wait for God's gift? Right. And um, if we take it for ourselves, then life gets taken away from us. And that's that's over and over again repeated. Um, the tree of life is just taken, and G- but then Jesus, you see, on the cross, on this tree, on this hill, um, water spilling out of his side, and humans now saying, now we have a choice. Now, do we continue to live in our own wisdom, or do we accept the life that's offered on this tree? 
And it's, I don't know, it's just this this really cool thing. And I think we're supposed to, like, if the Bible is meditation literature, right? Like, we're supposed to read it forever. Did I take your phrase? Just keep going. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm reading Josh's notes here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, anyway. I think we're supposed to, like, read it, repeat it. And I think the psalmist that we read this week picks up in Psalm 1. And where he says, uh, blessed is, this is what you were, yeah, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water mm-hmm. that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. And and I just, I love it. It's like every time you see the same thing, and it's mm. not that these events didn't happen. Right, right. right. It's like, but God weaves these things in these stories that you mm-hmm. might say, oh, that's insignificant. Aaron's s- staff that right. buds, you right. know, like right. that's insignificant. No, it's it's pointing to Jesus right. and the the fruit of that. So um, anyway, I, I love Genesis um, as a whole. There's so much there. Um, this is a huge week of reading, like so much good yeah. stuff. Oh, um, my gosh. Next week, you guys have Genesis 15. That'll be super fun. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so much. that's that's what I love about early Genesis. I know. I think that's what the tough part with reading through the Bible is you Genesis is so much and and so intriguing. And Exodus kind of continues to carry that. Yeah. And then, then it's like, like a lot of action in Exodus, doom. Leviticus, and Numbers. Doom. And you're like, wow, what happened? Brick wall. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Even though there are some great scenes in Leviticus, yeah. it's kind of like uh, Star Wars Episode Eight. <laughs> Great scenes. Great scenes. But uh, wow, it's hard you to, to get zoom the whole out. story. Yeah, you have to zoom like, out yeah. from it to appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, so. didn't get that right. Uh, I know. That's <laughs> so glad Daniel's back. <laughs> I, I feel a function. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, my. Well, kind of going off what Daniel said in the psalmist, um, in Psalm 1, Psalm 1 was the, f- this is really like, there's a tree. Yeah. yeah. But Psalm 1 was the first psalm I read. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> um, and it was the first psalm that like ever stuck out to me ever. Mm. Like I, I love. I just find that incredible that Psalm one was the first psalm you read. I know, yeah, I know. I, it's not the first psalm I read yeah, actually. See, yeah. Dan, it's the twenty third psalm. Twenty third was the first psalm I read. Yeah. Well, anyway, I read Psalm one. Very good. And um, in order. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I just remember reading it and being. I've always had me and my mom like love trees, and so I was yeah. like, oh, this is really cool. But then. Um, someone explained to me this meditation, um, because I had it in my mind, a picture of meditation, um, like of someone like Eastern transcendental meditation. I don't know what that means. Exactly. Where you, where you got a guy oh. the lotus position. Actually, no, that's not what I pictured. I pictured like, well, me, uh, or someone like bent over their Bible in a coffee shop and just like, just nothing, just headphones in and they're just doing nothing. And they're just sitting there memorizing chapters and chapters and chapters of the Bible. Because in my head, that's what I viewed like meditation as like, I have to have this stored up in my heart. And if I don't like, ah, I'm not going to be meditating and I can't, I can't do what someone tells me to do. Memorization and meditation is the same thing. Yes, exactly. Ah. And so, um, and, but it's important to remember that the Bible was not a book that you could just like check out at the library. It wasn't a book that people just had on themselves, um, but it was passed along by reading it aloud. It was like 
orally passed along. Um, and so just like what you're talking about, these themes and patterns and things were um, passed along so that people could remember them. Um, and so I would view meditation as memorization. Um, but what the Bible talks about here, this word meditate um, actually means to mutter. And so what it's mm. saying is it's muttering day and night, all day and all night, just these truths of the Bible over and over again about God, about the law, about his character, about sin. Like it's muttering to yourself all day these things like God is creator. He's yeah. holy. Um, he loves his people um, and he's for his people and he gives good things to his like just over and over reminding yourself of that. And I, I just think it's crazy that that's in my mind in the culture that I've grown up in of seeing meditating as like this very intense, like, like pious self-denial that Colossians talks about yeah. when in reality, it's like a lot more freeing. And honestly, although that looks you know, like Colossians says, it looks super holy and it looks like super like selfless and like all this stuff. It's actually tying you down to the law more. And then when I think about meditation in this way of this muttering, just all day talking to the Lord and reminding yourself who's, it's a lot more intimate. It's a lot mm. more like, wow, like I just love God or like I'm trying to talk to him. I'm getting to know him. I'm reminding myself of the story of creation and how he intimately made humanity and breathed the breath of life into them. And then he gave Adam the ability to name all of these things. And so he made us in his image to be like him. And like, that's a beautiful thing. And that we can mutter that throughout the day and just remember those things. And yeah. it just, it's a lot better than the being hunched over a Bible and headphones yeah. in and, let me memorize, you know, all 150 chapters of Psalms because that's, uh, yeah. you know, and not, not that there's not again, let me say there's nothing wrong with Bible memorization. That's super important. But I think sometimes we, we lock ourselves down and try to make meditation something that yeah. it's not. I know a guy who overcame an addiction to pornography by taking the time that he would allow his mind to go in those dark places and would go through the stories of the Bible and create mental images of everything he was seeing and, and mm. let those scenes play out in his head so that when his when his mind would go drift, his mind would go to those scenes and, yeah. and imprint those images right. upon his mind. Mm. And that's, that's kind of the that's picture cool. of meditation that I would have yeah. where, you, where you take something and you're like, what is what is God saying here? Yeah. And just and just dwelling yeah. upon it until yes. God reveals what he is saying right. there. Right. And, and I think that that's really the whole purpose yeah. of what we're here for is to, yeah. is to try to is to move people to right. meditate upon God's mm -hmm. word. This yeah. is, I mean, obviously, the reason why we're talking about the things we're talking about is not because we just read it or right. or, or else this would just be we just all read the Bible. Right. 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 Just, but but we're telling you, these are things as we read the word that as we and meditated upon it, these are things that came to the forefront. And I, this the other thing that happened, if you guys on the who on the audio could see my Bible. I wrote in the Bible next to someone, this tree mm. and this part of meditation for me yeah. is super important. I make an image like what you're talking yep. about. And then I draw that image on my hand and I started doing it. I remember reading the word steadfast and I had no understanding of what that meant, but I drew that on my hand. And every time I looked down, I was like, there's something on my hand. And then I was like, Oh wait, steadfast and being immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, like wow. these trees. And so if you look through this specific Bible of mine, you'll find images of things that I have drawn. And then I put that on myself so that throughout the day, it's not just a fleeting thought, but it's actually 
like written on my hand so that my yeah. brain can remember, oh, hey, this is something that's super important. Yeah. Um, and that and, you remind and for those who are of, listening, uh, Josh is not, doesn't look like a tattooed. No, uh, no, 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 no. He's not selling green. As far as we know. Sadly. I, no, okay. I, I assume that he washes them off at some I point. Do. So. Yes, I do. Yes. I usually. Because I'm not, I'm not seeing any images on this. Yeah, screen, I don't have so. any right now. Yeah. Sorry. But that's also because you're, these you're stupid a, pens. You were given a mental picture those there. Pens of, do yeah. not. These pens these don't write on your skin that I use. 0.38 G2 pens. But. Yeah, no, I, I just think that, and maybe that's where you're at, and just this point where you're like, I don't even know how to, like, do that. Like, give yourself a mental image of it um, physically on you, honestly. <laughs> but, yeah, that was my kind of thing for meditation. Cool, 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 cool. Well, uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus says, and this goes along with something Daniel said earlier. He said, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the, or the prophets. Mm. And I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For I tell, for I truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And that is such a bold statement and I, I and you know you read through the sermon on the mount the sermon on the mount can lead to a great deal of discouragement if you are struggling in your own personal <laughs> walk especially when you hear that statement because you're like oh wait a second oh the pharisees what though they're the most righteous people on the planet mm-hmm. and so unless we're more righteous than they are then we can't get in heaven so jesus is like out pharisee the pharisees and and really you have to understand the purpose of the sermon on the mount was to show we are all in error, that we are all mm. uh, in in sin. Uh, the the thing that I think, though, you have to be really careful with, because sometimes there's something that's called easy believism and cheap grace and so forth, because some people say, oh, um, I, I remember bumper stickers that were around that I just didn't care for that said, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And and what they were emphasizing, what, what gets emphasized a lot of times is that, okay, oh, oh, Jesus took care of everything, so now I can live however I want to live. And Paul resoundingly says no that is absolutely not the way you're supposed to interpret that there is supposed to be now a a striving for righteousness and so forth when the woman who's caught in adultery jesus looks at her and says you know yeah you messed up but stop just stop <laughs> sinning yeah right. don't don't sin anymore and that's and that's jesus message to everybody uh also chamber says something really profound to me he says uh god's permissive will allows the devil to do his worst and allows me to sin as I choose until I choose to resist the devil, quit sinning, and come to God in the right relationship through Jesus Christ. We must quit sinning and walk with Christ in a moral relationship, or else we are the enemy's slaves. Uh, you know, the decision is one we make now in this moment. It's just that who who do I belong to and who am I going to and understanding that Jesus has given us what is necessary to do what is right. The Sermon on the Mount is supposed to be reflective of this is how you are, how you should be once I fill you with my Holy Spirit and now you walk empowered by me. And while there's grace, uh, there it's like a child needs to needs to learn to walk, needs to learn to talk, needs to grow. And so you don't want to you don't want to stay stuck in a sinful pattern. You want to grow past that sinful pattern and 
and walk in and righteousness. And and since I'm last year, I'm going to cheat and do a, one more passage from Proverbs chapter one. He says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. That's from the New King James. I love the word the fancies. fancies. There. <laughs> uh, but the uh, but you know that that is a, a wisdom of Solomon is directly connected to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount because yeah. he's saying you know this is like the wise man who built his house upon the sand or the wise man who built his house upon the rock compared to the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And he says, I'm giving you this word. I'm giving you this wisdom. But you have to do it. You have to mm. obey the wisdom that I'm giving to you, or else, uh, or else you're going to get, you're going to eat the fruit of your own way. Uh, God warns us here in this passage. He's Jesus. The warning from Jesus is real, and that is, if you do not walk righteously, um, then uh, you won't be in heaven. That's, I mean, that's. That's what he says, it's, and it's said over and over again, meaning that if you are not walking righteously, then one of two things. Either you're choosing not to walk righteously when you've been empowered to do so, or you haven't been empowered to do so. Mm, and yeah. and so make a decision. Make a decision, and, and that's why Joshua says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. You know, Are you going to go into the kingdom of God, or are you going to stay out of the kingdom of God? But make a decision and follow that master and reap the consequences of whatever it is uh, our flesh is so weak, and we ask God for help in overcoming. But when he sends us the help, uh, the crazy part is we despise it. This he says, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. And that's that's this is the struggle that we have, is that, God, we read the word, we hear the word, but we don't, we don't like the word. And, and so it's like I don't want to do the thing that God is asking me to do. And that's... You've got to work that out. That's the part that has to be wrestled with. It's like, okay, okay, so you so you don't want to do this. And it's kind of, it's like having a parent look at you and go, all right, you don't have to do what I tell you to do. And I'm I'm going to tell you the consequences of that, right. and you can do your own thing. But uh, here are the consequences of now. Just take a moment and think it through. <laughs> and so make your choice, and 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 that's what it will be. Mm. But but the foolishness comes in doing the opposite of what God tells you, expecting to get the opposite result of what he tells you. And um, and that's that's just denying God as a whole. That's just saying God's a liar or that he's not true to his word. So, yeah, it's a it is tough. It is it's difficult to read his word because we are fallen to take the grace is so important and the mercy that God shows us is so important but it's it's not taking advantage of that grace and and there are things in my life that repeat over and over and over and over again and god knows my own struggles and so forth and some things i just i i don't know if i'm going to ever escape them until i get rid of this body or this wretched man that i am <laughs> and get a new one but but i think the desire has to be uh, not to despise god's word but to say god I, I really i want to see victory in this and and always move in the counsel that he gives to us well that's interesting that you say that because now i've been thinking about these asking questions and the thing that i shared last week about the like the shark analogy swimming towards it and whatever right i think it's interesting like that when, when we're facing sin if we're continually running away from it and not figuring out where the sin's coming from well then we're just going to keep falling into it over and over yeah. again and so now i'm thinking through like hey when you sin, instead of like continuing to sin, like, but like dive into it and say, okay, what's going on here? Like, yeah. because I think 
in my understanding of who Jesus is, he thrives there. He thrives there. He thrives in these asking questions and being honest. Um, yeah. Now I'm, I'm going to just gonna clarify something because yeah. just, just from a communications yeah. point. Go ahead. He's not saying to run toward immorality. Yeah. No, 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 no. Sorry. sorry <laughs> or sorry, dive sorry. into it. Oh, really? It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a flee immorality. See, here thing. I go. Yeah. But he's Change saying don't, yeah. do, but don't, don't deny the fact that you have an issue. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So like be, I don't want to say be curious about your sin, but like ask questions to it. Why yeah. am I doing this thing? What about yeah. this is making me want to do it even more and start asking Lord, like what, what's actually going on seeking clarification from him in that. Because like, even if we look at the woman at the well, he stabs deep with a question, you know, yeah. or, or just says, Hey, no, actually you have five husbands or you've had them or whatever. And it like opens her up to see, Oh, well, he actually knows a lot. And then she right. starts asking him questions and all this stuff. And we see like, um, what's the word restoration happen there. Right. Um, and that's just interesting to me. Like, don't, don't run away from his wisdom. Don't hide in shame like Adam and Eve do, but actually yeah. come to him. Well, I think, I think when you drive toward the word, when you, when you go to the word and, and allow the word to, to be like that spotlight in your life, that it will yeah. illuminate things. Right. I think what we tend to do is gloss over things. Right. When we hear like the passage I just read, when you read it, it's like, Oh yeah, but he's going to forgive us all. And we're all going to be right. okay. But you go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. He just said my righteousness surpassed that of the Pharisees. Now did he just mean that he's, was he not, was he not serious? Right. Was he right. joking? And at least not. And so, so, <laughs> so how does that even happen? And, and he's saying, and then he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to say things like, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, uh, then you've committed adultery. And so if you're feeling good because you've never actually committed physical adultery, well, now I'm telling you, if you have this middle thing that you're doing, yeah. you're just as guilty. Right. And so that needs to be dealt with. And so you, you're, so then you see that and you think, well, how in the world do I overcome that? Well, mm. you go to the word and yeah. believe that God has a solution for that. Right. And you go back to Psalms and it's on 119. He's saying, you know, how can a young man wake his way, make himself pure? And he's, you know, by, by living according to the word of God. So you're like, okay, so, and then you go to passages like where he says, flee immorality and don't look upon things, you know, that will, you know, watch what your eye does. And if your eye... I mean, one that, um, that he just makes blatant in in the sermon, even on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, "If your eyes offending you, pluck it out." And so, either we have we should have a lot of one-eyed people in the world, or he's <laughs> saying in that he is it is uh, hyperbole, uh, where he's saying if whatever it is, no matter how important it is mm -hmm. to you, get rid of it. Right. It, it, identify that, and and then it really comes down to what in my life, something in my life is more important than right, God. Right. And he's one of you, and that's when you're identifying. It's like, why do we keep failing? Why do we keep failing? And he's like, you keep failing because you're hanging on to that. Right. Yeah. And you're making that more important to me. Right. There's a there's an there's an ancient monk called Evagrius of Pontius mm. um, who put put together this is a monastic handbook um, combating the lies of the enemy and mm. and particular sins. So he spent years um like searching the scriptures and every time he'd be tempted with something he would search the scriptures and find a, the biblical response because he would looks at jesus and jesus's interaction with satan in the desert right. and yeah. say what's the the fix for combating um temptation well it must be god's word yeah. so yeah. so he he created for himself this monastic handbook for combating i think th the title is monastic handbook for combating demons yeah and he uh <laughs> and i'm not i'm not a proponent of Spe you know, having an exchange, right? right? <laughs> but uh, but just having that, I, I've thought about making one of those for myself. Mm -hmm. Just like in, a, if yeah. I'm tempted in some way, okay, well then, 
what's the scripture and then committing that to memory josh like kind of like mm-hmm. you were talking about and using that as a tool to overcome right sin yeah because the power of god's word is is just right there that's funny she said because we were talking to a biblical counselor last night to, who's in our area ah, and yeah. she was saying how one of the tools that she uses is she writes the lie down mm-hmm. on one side the lie that you're hearing and uh like i'm not i have no self-worth or something like that and then on the flip side of it she puts the truth of god's word mm-hmm. So so whenever that person is is confronted with the lie, they turn it over to see here's the response of sure. God to that sin. And that, just to continue, because you think those things are, I mean that's a very simple thing, but the truth is is we we as soon as we get out of the council of God's where we start believing that lie again. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so sometimes some things we just have to to meditate upon. Yeah. Uh, to to mutter truth. on. To mutter on. Yeah, <laughs> cool. All right. Well, we've had a good time uh, sharing the word. We're gonna but we're gonna deal some questions uh, from the reading this week. So when we return, we will conquer those. It's time now for the question and answer segment oh, of yeah. Understanding Jesus. Ba, 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 and ba. we are, we got questions because Daniel's here. Yeah. Everybody has, Daniel inspires us. I, I really just don't know the Bible, so <laughs> I, have, I have so many questions. So he, he had, well, this is it. He has so great an understanding of the Bible. He actually goes to extra biblical literature. <laughs> apocryphal so, works. So, 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 Daniel, what is your apocryphal <laughs> question? Hold on. Let me say, every interaction that I've had with Daniel since, like, August of this, of 2021, uh-huh. every single one, the Book of Enoch, which he's about to ask about, has been brought up comes every up. single time. When I yeah. visited him in St. Louis, he's fascinated. He is just I've, always spewing so about it. Since then, I don't want now. This question's so, gonna sound like it's coming from a different place. The Gospel is, of Thomas and all that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly. Daniel's new thing. <laughs> I've, I've recently become right. like a mega Book of Enoch nerd to the point oh, where I'm you know how people well like character map, um, dip, like books <laughs> like like Lord of the Rings, right. and the Silmarillion and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's me with the book. I've I've got my character <laughs> map actually on this computer yeah. of the Book of Enoch. That's I'm, dorky. I'm extra. I'm, I'm much more knowledgeable about it now. But so anyway, I've I don't mean this. He's so. never read Habakkuk, but <laughs> he loves the Book it's of like Enoch. Habakkuk. My, my back's just fine. All right. Habakkuk. That <laughs> yeah, wasn't that funny. <laughs> no, that was okay. funny. I thought anyway, it was okay. Funny. Anyway, so what's your question, anyway, Daniel? Because I'm ready to so know. So now now it sounds <laughs> like I'm advocating for heresy, but. Um, my question is, okay. so the book of Jude in the Bible okay. quotes Enoch and Correct. references the book of Enoch and references his words as prophecy, right? Genesis six quotes the book of Enoch directly as right. does Jesus and first and second Peter, all these things. Book of Revelation. Book yeah. of Revelation a lot. Yep. Um, and today the Ethiopian Orthodox believers consider yeah. the book of Enoch as part of the canon. Right. So 2022 Americans, why don't we? Well... Well, it depends on well that that's uh, there are some Americans who do. Okay. I mean, but uh, but <laughs> no, the um, <laughs> including me uh, including Daniel. It's not just the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. <laughs> uh, in fact, Orthodox relig- Orthodox I'll say Orthodox religions Orthodox groups. I'm would, really sorry. Can be, you explain would, what Orthodox means? Orthodox means a more uh, Orthodoxy just means structure and order, and so you basically 
if you if you go back and look at the church's origin, just a little brief church history lesson, you start out with a group of people who uh, who follow a certain pattern of this is what the church is about and so forth, and then it uh, and they have the bishops who are leaders of each of those oh, groups. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. And then it and then the bishop of Rome was acknowledged by a group of people as being the leader of the church. Okay. And uh, and the people who followed that teaching became Roman Catholic, gotcha. Catholic being universal. So it was right, like, yeah. so you have Orthodox, which is the Catholic church was all of it. And then the Roman Catholic church became the group that said, we believe that the Bishop of Rome is the leader of the church right. and a direct of the direct line of Peter. Right. Um, as the head of the church. So, um, and then, so that was the first schism. And so you have now Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic and then another schism uh, that we had the Protestant Reformation in the 15 in 1500 and schism. whatever. And then um, that occurred. And that was when uh, Martin Luther uh, put up his theses on 95 theses up on, and on the Wittenberg door and said, hey, I'm questioning whether everything we believe is kosher. But so and then and then uh, Protestant churches came out of that because they uh, declared everything he said anathema. So so forever you had this split of everybody you either protest against the Catholic Church or you're part of it. And so and then out of the Protestant Reformation you have uh, all kinds of things happening. And so uh, actually a lot of modern evangelical comes out of the Church of England. Uh, you had another kind of split off of that where you had the separatist and the separatist pulled out of the Church of England and so forth. So you have all these different groups. And so so you have really three primary groups of people. Um, I'm going to go I'm going to stretch out and say four. Uh, we have evangelicals who consider themselves separate from the Church of England. You have the Protestants uh, and then you have the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox. So. <laughs> Out of that orthodoxy, and out of the, and Ethiopian Orthodox is part of that orthodoxy. It's part of that orthodoxy. Yeah, um, got that. Uh, there's a co- the, co- <laughs> the Coptic Church is They're orthodox. The, the uh, Greek Orthodox Church, Russian Orthodox. You have all kinds of different orthodoxies right. that are that are, hold on to that. So, so anyway, that that being said, um, Orthodox churches would have a tendency to be more looking at ancient writings and saying the, we think these things are canon or not canon, and can do that because they are their own govern their own group. The reason why we would not, uh, when we look back at the canon as a whole, we're looking for more of a holy, not what the church has declared to be the canon, uh, but really what God has affirmed through the church as a whole. Because there would have been actions of many actions of the church that we would say, mm, they went off base there, and said, what did God himself push forward as being those? And so we have what, uh, what we declared there being an apostolic connection. Um, meaning that, first of all, the Old Testament being that which Jesus said, this is the Old Testament. Now, uh, that was that was a official gathering of books in the Septuagint, you know, for, for instance, would have been there when Jesus was there. And so you have, uh, that was all the Old Testament that was put into Greek. And, uh, and so these were the books that would have been the canon that Jesus would have had when he was here. And Enoch would not have included in that. Um, and so then you have, uh, beyond that, all the other books of the New Testament have some type of apostolic connection, meaning some connection to the apostles, connection to people who were there when Jesus, who were with Jesus throughout his ministry, and also saw him resurrect from the dead and crucified, resurrected, and and uh, and his and his ascended. Um, 
James, being his half-brother, would have been a part of that. Um, Mark being connected through Peter. Uh, the book of Gospel of Luke. Luke tells that uh, he does Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. So he's just giving a historical record of the apostles and the people who were there. So even though Luke himself wasn't a part of that, he's just giving us the record that they gave us. So that's why he's included. Um, so the book of Enoch just doesn't fit in that category and was not included for much of the early part of church history. And there was a time when the church came together and said, here's what God has routinely included within the church. And to go back now and to say, well, okay, 1,500 yeah. years later, we're going to throw this in, is to wipe out an entire a lot of history. A lot of churches. Yeah. We're 2,000 and years in. It's so, kind of too so, late to so go back. You would have difficulty making the case that God wanted to preserve that and make it a part of yeah. it since he did not uh, for 1,500 years. Oh, okay. And, and, uh, and it's really cool, and I, I think I've shared this before. If you go back uh, in, in Great Britain, they have the oldest book, uh, the oldest complete Bible in history, and it um, goes back to three or 400 A.D. And, uh, and then you have... Uh, in Egypt, you have the second oldest, uh, the Codex Sinaiticus, uh, one of those is the oldest, uh, that um, goes back same, about the same amount of time. A cool part about it is, is that not only does it have all the books of the Bible, this, that's the first time all the books of the Bible were put into one thing, uh, 66 books. Um, and it goes, and that's, so you're talking three or 400 AD. The words of Jesus are in red. Uh, in those Bibles. And so that's that's not a modern in innovation. It has always been something that they've done. And um, and they were in Aramaic uh, in, the, in that language when they were done. But um, uh, yeah, so you, you want to be able to see that the Holy Spirit has connected this for all of us for all time. And would believe that if that were true, that it would go well beyond the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. It would be something that all of us would see as... That. Now, do I read the Apocrypha? Do I read the Pseudepigrapha? Absolutely. Does it inform those things? Everything that's from the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha that's in the canon, I do believe, is the inspired word of God. I believe that the Pseudepigrapha and the Apocrypha books are very important and, and, and carry a lot of weight and is going to actually inform, and some of the things are going to inform us um, for other questions that we have. Because they do draw from these things. And, and reading those books helps you to have a greater... It's kind of like a trip to the Holy Land. A, a trip to the Holy Land is not canonical, nor is it the inspired word of God or inerrant, it, but it does inform you. Uh, it, it does bring the Bible to life and helps inform the things that you know and understand. So, um, so yeah, the, they're very important. But we do not base... What we're saying, one is God speaking, and the other are people writing about the things that God speaks. So... Cool. Which that actually, was really helpful. Which actually f uh, is going to lend into your question, too. So go oh. ahead and ask your question. Yeah. Okay. Segway. Let me preface this with saying uh, a lot of the books of the Bible are easy to follow along the storyline of the Bible. But right. then right in the middle of it, we're, we're, we're hit with Psalms and Proverbs. Right. Both of them just kind of confusing about, like, there's nothing really narratively going on here. Right. But they're both important. Right. And I see that. So what is the book of Psalms? How do we read it? And can you help me? Because I legitimately still don't know right. how to read it, and I don't enjoy reading the Psalms at right. all, except for Psalm 1. Um, but can you help me and the listeners wow. who are probably in the same spot um, help, help us cringing. understand? Yeah. I know he loves the, yeah, loves the Psalms. But like, can you help us understand what this is all yeah. about? Yeah, absolutely. For one, let me give a little plug for us uh, in our reading plan. 
we take out the Psalms and Proverbs and put those separately mm-hmm. because they are they are distinct in in their purpose right. and, and scope. Uh, in our reading plan, each day we read Old Testament passage, New Testament passage, something from Psalms, something from Proverbs, because I believe that you should include the Psalms and Proverbs in in every daily reading. I think that because that's the wisdom of Proverbs is something that you cannot just read through it for two weeks out of the year and then be done with it. It needs to be something that that feeds into every day. Psalms, same thing. So I'm glad, you, I hope you're in our reading plan, Josh, because that's why we force you to read the Psalms, even though you hate it, uh, <laughs> force you to read it all the time. Uh, because uh, the Psalms is a, just a little distinction between the Psalms and the Psalter. Um, the Psalms is a Psalter, but not all Psalters are Psalms. Uh, and when we talk about the book of Psalms, and what I mean by that is, that there are liturgical books that have been created by the church that are psalters, that are collections of songs, and mm-hmm. and are and are useful and are liturgical for the church. And the Psalms is a psalter that was created for the church to read from. But the difference is the Book of Psalms is the inspired Word of God. Right. Uh, so so it's not just it is the only canonical, holy inspired psalter. Uh, that we have. So when you are reading through these songs, this collection of poetic works, and and not just it's not just poetry. It's uh, there is prose, but the there is uh, but it is a collection of songs uh, that are um, that are for the purpose of informing us what God what God speaks to us. So they are uh, th- and they come from a variety of sources. Most of them, I think, seventy six of them are from David. Uh, over half of them. Yeah, over half of them are from David, but uh, but they come from Solomon and 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 variety of different places. Some are some are post-exilic, meaning they come from when the Israel was cast out and so forth, and and writing things while they're in exile, writing things when they're coming back from exile. Um, meaningful songs, and and so you have to think of it that these are songs that are being written by a variety of different people, for the purpose of being uh, people singing them, uh, just like we would sing hymns today and sing songs today that bring imagery and so forth to help us greater understand these greater truths of God's God's word and, and who God is. Um, the difference is in this Psalter, uh, it is God speaking to us, God revealing something about himself uh, and done so in a way uh, that is um, uh, that is that is memorable. And I, I think I think some you know touches on I don't want to get too much to the psychological aspect of it, but it does touch on a different side of the brain. When you are reading through the Psalms, as mm-hmm. you do when you're reading the rest of Scripture, and so uh, and 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 plugging things in there that uh, that God is in, that God desires to have us our brain firing on all cylinders to right. have a greater understanding. Uh, and Daniel probably could speak to that because uh, you, you're a, you're a Psalm lover. I love the Psalms. I spent so like I was going through the Bible right on my own um, before I had completed one of these um, reading plans and. I got to this. As I was going through the books of the Bible, and what have I read? What have I not read? What should what I? Yeah. Trying to complete my information base and experience base, and I was like, oh, the Psalms. I have to read the Psalms. That's how I feel about them every and time I look at them. So I was like, you know, I'm just gonna do it. So I spent the better part of a year going through a Psalm, like a chapter a day, yeah. and spending like, yeah, judgment. <laughs> that literally uh, makes me sick. Spending, <laughs> spending time like digesting, and Psalm 119, yeah. like, you know, long ones I spent extra right. time, but. Um, and I just grew to love them. I don't know, like yeah. just the, I, I I grew to appreciate the um, the the writing style yeah. of it and um the way it communicates thoughts, uh, like doubling down on things, mm-hmm. speaking uh, complete 
truth with two um, balancing ideas. And um, yeah, I just, I, I loved it. Sometimes you could see um, like through poetry, it can express things in ways that narrative can't yeah, or that just right. instructions can't. And emotions come through. Emotions come Psalms through more so than any other book. I think the and reason rhythm. that I get so like frustrated at it was the same reason that I was so frustrated about the Old Testament before I started understanding what the Old Testament was. But I don't, I just don't have like a like a grasp on it. So for my brain, it just yeah. I just like get so angry. I'm like, oh, I don't, there's Which, nothing here. But I think what's incredible <laughs> to me is 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 when you think of how Jesus accessed the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and was really just saying where he's referencing this. Um, I, you know, I'm gonna really take a, a deep dive here, Ooh, but yeah. you don't. Uh, if you know our family, you <laughs> will know how often we reference uh, Seinfeld, The Office, the Office. Right. and, right. Uh, and right. SpongeBob. Yes, yeah. and Ooh. and one of the things when you because they're artistic media, yeah, and uh, artistic media, and when you when you have things that are written for entertainment or whatever. There are certain things that are said or done that that recreate themselves in your right. daily lives, and so so when you say it, it we all come back to the emotion of what we experienced right. there. And I think when Jesus is referencing the Psalms, that's what he's doing. Mm. He's 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 saying something that for his especially his Jewish audience will trigger the emotion of when they sang that song as a child, when they yeah. at different times of life, you know, when you have different things mm, that you would share so cool. at different times of life, and he's sh- and he's saying this. It would it would resonate with his yeah. audience, you know, and mm-hmm. they're like, ah, I know exactly what yeah. he means by that when he says that. And so he's not just trying to say, oh, here's me in the text. It's more just of, hey, this is now we all we're on the same page. I gotcha. I'm, I'm trying to take you to a deeper mm-hmm. level That's of what helpful. we're feeling and experiencing. And so the deeper understanding you have of why that psalm was written, when it was written, right? Who it was written for, you know, when you realize other, you know, the the hanging the harps on the willows, you know, as they're coming back and so forth, and the imagery that they have mm-hmm. of this, and they're singing about that's a dark moment of right. you know of coming back from exile and so forth, but also joy, you know, that we're going mm-hmm. back to our homeland. It's not you know you have yeah. a lot of older people who are upset because they are seeing something they remember right. what it's supposed to be, right. and it's nothing right. like that. But still, at the same time, we're we're finally coming back home, and all these emotions that are tied up in that, uh, and and we have that throughout our culture, so we get right. it. But this is, but this is God saying, this is even, mm. this is, this is from my heart, yeah, you know, that's not helpful. just, not just the heart of men. Mm. That's so. super helpful. I appreciate that. Cool. Well, the one question, one more question before we leave, and that is uh, Judy asked this question earlier, and uh, and I just wanted to uh, bring some clarity to it because it is, it is a great question. Uh, the um, Abraham uh, tells um, Abimelech that uh, Sarah is his. He also does this with uh, the Egyptian. Pharaoh, but the uh, that, 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 that Sarah is a sister, and so uh, it bears the question. Uh, so he married his sister. So that sounds a little. I was gonna say Kentuckian, uh, but that, <laughs> but I'm from Kentucky, so Arkansasian. Anyway, so <laughs> is that how you say that? Are you Arkansasian or Arkans- Arkansan? Arkansian or something like that? Uh, whatever the case, <laughs> uh, it does sound a little backwards to do that. And so the question is, incest is wrong. Yeah, I'll say that's a biblical truth. Uh, so how does Abraham get away with that? And and so here's the here's the thing, uh, because uh, Judy's comment was is that uh, surely. She's not really his sister. Uh, that uh, there's something wrong there. That he's lying, um, and and here here's the response. One is I don't think he's lying, uh, but uh, it also 
shows at one point that Lot is his brother, even though Lot is his nephew, because Abraham's father took in Lot, and or Abraham took in Lot because his brother had died. So, it's, so Abra- Lot is his son, his brother. It's uh, uh, the Dude, relation- family's messed up <laughs> relationally. Uh, all through the Bible, when you're reading, even when you're reading through the genealogies, mm-hmm. um, it could be a grandson, a, a great grandson, and could still be called son, brother, whatever. It's uh, those are f- familial ties are ambiguous when we're reading in Scripture. Sarah absolutely could be Abraham's uh, stepdaughter, great grand, you know, whatever. Uh, could be uh, a niece, a uh, cousin. Uh, all kinds of different variations there on how she actually fits in. His father could have taken her in. Uh, some, uh, the Talmud actually says that she is his niece, that it is uh, that she's Lot's sister. Mm. Or, uh, or I got the Talmud for Christmas, and I'm very excited. Did to you? Dig into it. Yeah. In the original language, or yeah, <laughs> translation. <laughs> but I just I got go, the original Talmud. Go step actually, so can you read in Hebrew? Uh, <laughs> Uh, the uh, <laughs> not like I could, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I can recognize the letters. Uh, the um, <laughs> the so, so much for seminary education. Uh, the but anyway, that the the point is that if even if it was um, his actual sister, because it, it because we don't know that it is not literally what it says that he's she's not the son. It doesn't make it clear. Uh, that she's not the daughter of Abraham's father. We Abraham says that she's the the daughter of my father, but not of my mother. We have a different mother, and so that makes her his half sister, which would still be incestuous. Oh, yeah. uh, and so would be wrong. But here's the the point: is that two things. One is that God has not revealed that law to to Abraham. But two is that Abraham was a fallen person. Absolutely, he could have sinned and done wrong. Never. The Bible never condones. Sarah as his wife. It just simply states the fact that Sarah is his wife. Right. And so uh, that's uh, God's never saying this was right for what he did. Uh, it's just simply saying, and the Bible does that a lot. You always have to look to say, is God saying this is right? Or is right. it just simply stating the well, fact that this is the way it is? Also, I mean, you had to, I mean, we all just kind of brushed it under the rug. The fact that Adam and Eve's kids probably, unless, you know, unless there's something else going on, had to, yeah. marry each other and Noah's kids had to yeah. marry each other like that all we get we get it we just don't think or talk about it we do know at some point when that the had law to was stop. given that right. God said no longer no do all this. done before that I feel like it's kind of no harm no foul yeah in a way and it's not that Mo and Abraham wasn't trying to be deceitful yeah to and biologically Egyptians. you have a pure genetic line at the beginning yeah. so you wouldn't have had the the problems that we have after the right fall, yeah. yeah yeah and so there's there's reasons for that it's kind of like circumcision was not a, I mean, that was not introduced until Abraham, mm. and so, and so it, it would be some of those things. Uh, and um, yes, though, so, anyway. You know what's crazy to me about the Abraham thing? Just as a final little thought, um, I was researching this for one of our we're doing a basics class at the church I'm serving at now, and um, talking about Abraham, kind of kicked the whole thing off. And it's fun. The place that he was living in was. Um, the Amal- the Amalekites had the had the territory, right? Mm-hmm. But he was living in um, this place. Um, I forget where he was, the, where it was called when God called him. Mm-hmm. But um, Ur. It, Ur, it was Ur, yeah, I guess. Oh, the Chaldeans. Chaldeans. Uh, their their god, which Abraham absolutely would have been worshiping, was uh, the moon god, which was known to them as Sin, S I N. 
Right. And so it's interesting that God called Abraham out of worship of sin yeah. into righteousness. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And, and when you uh, when we traveled to Egypt, we were uh, there, and it said uh, up on the wall, it had painted the Valley of Sin, mm. and that's where the, the Sinai Mountains actually mm. are in the that's cool. by the Valley of sin and that's it is kind of one of those it throws you off it's like wow that's like kind what? of what well, you live in the Dark. valley of sin yeah. uh but, uh, but that's that's the name that yeah. was given to it yeah cool yeah. so cool this is fun all right that has been fun thank yeah. you Daniel, for kicking off Thanks season three me. so far daniel has been in every season <laughs> of understanding jesus Let's keep it going uh, every every first episode of the season Daniel's been there, Ooh. so we've kept that streak alive. Let's see if we see what we'll see what happens keep a year it up. from now. Yeah. See what diseases come forth and try to keep us <laughs> apart. But uh, but anyway, thank you guys it for joining happens. us. We will be back next week with a mystery guest on episode two of season three <laughs> of Understanding Jesus.